The Bible says he touched him and he made him whole. And then Jesus told him, he said, you, uh, you go show yourself to the priest. When he already broken the law, Jesus did, because he had touched a leper. And yet now he speaks to this man and he says, you go show yourself to the priest. I like what Jake, uh, Jake ha Jack Hayford Jack Hayford said about it. He said, Jesus touched the leper, exhibiting an authority over disease and the law, which prohibited such physical kind of leper. He instructed the leper to show himself to the priest, balancing his authority, law with his commitment to it. You see, Jesus knew how to do it. I don't know about you, but one day when I was lost, you see, the leper was supposed to go around, not close to anyone, standing way off. When I was in India, they were sitting along the roadside, parts of the body gone. It's an awful thing. Yet leprosy in the Bible was a type of sin, and they were supposed to go around saying, unclean, unclean. Before I was saved, my inner parts went around saying unclean. Unclean. But Jesus touched me. Well, I was shy, could buy a head. Heavy burden. Beneath the load of guilt and shame. But something wonderful happened. In the hand of Jesus, Jesus touched me. And now I am no longer the same. Most of you know it. Sing it with me. He touched me. Oh, Jesus touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul—something. Wonderful happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Since I met this blessed. That's insane. Oh, since he cleansed and made me whole. Sing it out, you know I do. I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it 
while eternity rolled. Stand and sing it. Come on. He touched me. Oh. Oh, yes, he did. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something wonderful happened. And now I know he touched me and made me. You know, Brother Dan, so Daniel is going to share with us this morning from the Word of God on healing. And I believe we've been bathing this week down in prayer, joining with this man of God and believing God to heal this morning. And I want you to be able to say when you leave this place, you know what? Not Dan, not Don, but Jesus touched me. And something wonderful happened in my life. Because God's going to touch some people here today. God's going to touch some people here today. Join with me one more time. Sing that chorus. Sing it out. Lift your voice. He touched me. Here we go. He He touched me and oh, the joy, the joy, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and I <laughs> he You may be seated. God bless you. Thank you so much. So just a couple of announcements this morning. First, any good to hear Pastor sing? Praise God. And Matt, Matt mentioned when he opened uh, that there was a big celebration here uh, yesterday. And Miss Lib Jones just walked in. Miss Lib, will you stand up so, so we can uh, recognize you? Miss Lib turned 90 years old yesterday. <laughs> A couple announcements. Um, the ladies' potluck is this coming Saturday at 10 a.m. The sign-up sheet's in the foyer. I've seen a lot of ladies have signed up, but that's, uh, that is this coming Saturday. And you've heard us mention the Love Life Ministry many times. That will be an official kickoff here October the 8th. We'll have a representative from Love Life here who will be telling us more about the ministry. And then on October 15th, we will gather here. Hopefully many of you will gather. We'll go over to Raleigh. Uh, we'll, we'll have a chance to meet with many, many, many churches, many, many believers. 
and pray in, in the eye shot of a, of a clinic. That's all it is. It's prayer. It's basically a church service. Uh, and they, they stay on a really strict um, time schedule because they know people sometimes important to them. So it's an hour and a half from the time we get there to the time we leave. There'll be some songs and there'll be some prayers. There's no sign holding. There's, there's, there's nothing like that. So I hope you'll be a part of it. Several of our church already have been. And on that note, October 1st, I believe it is the first Saturday of October. They'll be they'll be praying over at Chapel Hill. That's where we'll be meeting after this uh, officially as a church. If you'd like to go pray, see me, see Brother Dan, see Sister Rebecca. Many who've already been, we can show you where we can tell you where to meet over there, and we'll just pray there as well. So, um, hope you'll put that on your calendar and and be a part of that, Brother Dan. If you would come up. Hallelujah. It was indeed great to hear Pastor sing. And uh, he set the stage for what's about to happen today. Hallelujah. I, I've been praying all week and I've enlisted several leaders to pray with me and for me for this day. Because I believe God's going to do something miraculously. But our spirit, the atmosphere has been set for the spirit but let me bring some words so our mind will connect with our spirit so we know what we do but first I want to give honor to a couple of things on Wednesday our pastors celebrated their 59th wedding anniversary can we honor what an accomplishment you're a hero sister Carol <laughs> No, but Pastor, I know being a husband to Josie that we're heroes too. So we'll pat ourselves on the back. Speaking of heroes, we have some heroes here today also. Heroes that are fresh from the battle. And they're fighting the battle not with bullets and guns, but with the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel. They have been in Malia, a country in Africa, that they have been asked to leave, and their hearts are here broken for those people because they had to leave because of civil war there, and their lives are in danger. So I'd like us to honor them today. Please stand, Colin and Madison Smith, as we honor them as our warriors for Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, Colin. Thank you, Madison. When I see a person in uniform, I go up to them and say, thank you for your service. To our heroes, I say, thank you for your service, for your dedication, and for your heart for the lost. God is going to move in our service today, I know. God is going to touch someone here this morning. But first, let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning with all humility and with reverence as we approach the throne. But we also come with the confidence as your children. Speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. Use these words that you have given me to bless us this morning. Move in our hearts and prepare us to receive all you have in store for us. Anoint my words, Father. Anoint the ears of those that are uh, hearing and the understanding of your people. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Every Sunday morning, we end our services by calling everyone to the altar area where we pray for needs, we pray for salvations, we pray for guidance and for healings. Some get those needs answered immediately, other prayers are answered later, and still others are yet to be answered. That leaves us wondering why. This morning, let us seek answers together. Answers on how God handles our pleas. Our pleas for healing of our illnesses, for relief of our suffering. And I realize that this is a very controversial subject within the church. Not only is it controversial to the church, but it is not well understood. When I speak of the church, I am speaking about the universal church of Christ, which covers all denominations. The controversy lies in why God's healing comes to some and why in some instances he does not heal for others. And I understand I must handle this subject very delicately because I realize that for some, they are experiencing some very painful times. That unless God intervenes, for some, their future is not very positive, facing a life of pain or even loss of life. Let me begin with a story about my uncle Hector. He was a pastor for many years, a kind and gentle person. He was very unassuming, the kind of man that would give you his raincoat in a downpour. But on the pulpit, oh my, he was a firebrand preacher, delivering some very passionate messages. He was what I would call a man of great faith. His story begins in 1934. As an infant of one and a half years, he got very ill. His life was in danger. My grandparents, who were Catholics at the time, were invited to a nearby Assemblies of God church where he could be prayed for, they told them, and he will be healed. In desperation, my grandparents took him to that church. He was anointed with oil, hands were placed upon him, and the prayer of faith was, was prayed. My uncle began to recover right away, and a day later, all his symptoms were gone. My parents began attending that church, and, uh, and there they gave their lives to Christ. And that was the beginning of a legacy of, of God-fearing family. All their children from then on, all their children, all their grandchildren, and most of their great-grandchildren now serve the Lord. My branch of that family, all four of my grandchildren profess Jesus as their Savior. And most of you know him. They grew up kind of in this church, Mark and Daniel, and who can forget Isabel and Josephina. These four are their great, great grandchildren. God healing that little baby led to a whole family coming to Christ. 
That's her legacy. Won't you begin your legacy so that your whole family will come to Christ? Now fast forward to 1999. <clears throat> My uncle was diagnosed with severe kidney disease. The doctors prescribed dialysis, but my uncle refused. He told the doctors that his life was in God's hands. God is able to raise me up, he told them, but if he chooses not to, I am ready to be with him. And then addressing the team of medical professionals around him, he said, I am ready. Are you ready? Even then, and his, on his sickbed, he remained faithful to his calling as a laborer for Christ. He went on to be with the Lord a couple of few months later. Now, my uncle was a well-known minister. Many pastors came to pray for him in the hospital. There were people throughout the U.S. praying for his recovery. Why did not God heal him again? Well, the church does not agree on that answer. That's where the controversy lies. Some will say that he didn't have enough faith. But if you knew my uncle, you know that that wasn't true. Others say that the supernatural healing stopped when the apostles died. And still others say that he refused his healing when the doctors offered dialysis. Realize this, brothers and sisters, doctors cannot heal. Doctors can diagnose a disease or an illness. They can prescribe a medicine or a course of treatment. They can cut out a disease part. They can even replace an organ. Or as in the case of bypass surgery, they can provide a means that uses God's healing design in our bodies. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. God has designed our bodies to heal themselves. Yes. For example, when you cut yourself, the first thing you do is you try to stop the bleeding. You apply pressure to cut the flow of blood until God's design of coagulation kicks in and the bleeding stops. Then you clean the wound and what happens next? The body begins to repair itself. In a few weeks, all you have is a scar. That was God's design. Did you heal the wound? Of course not. All you did was provide an environment for God's healing design in our bodies to take place. Oh, doctors have a wealth of information for treating diseases. But the key word here is treating, not healing. Only God heals. When Josie was healed of liver cancer through surgery, the surgeon removed the cancerous part, but it was not the surgeon that healed her. It was God. They removed a good portion of her liver. And the amazing part of God's design is that over 60% of that removed portion grew back. It just dumbfounded me. And I refuse to give God the glory. It is God who gets the glory and not the doctors. 
Yes, doctors are amazing in their knowledge and they're amazing in their skill and what they can do with, with scalpels and lasers. And the Bible acknowledges them and it acknowledges the use of medicine. But even they have their limit to their abilities. Have you ever heard a doctor say, and I know our pastors have, said, have heard it said, we've done all that we can. The rest is up to the Lord. Fortunately for us, Josie's treatment was a success. However, God gets the credit for her healing. God gets the glory. Yeah. Amen. But for most people, that is not what they call a healing. They are thinking of a miracle, a healing that involves no kind of human intervention, one that is verifiable and cannot be explained by natural or scientific laws. Now in the church, there are believers called cessationists. That means that they believe that miracles stopped and ceased with the death of the apostles. At the other extreme are those that are called the hyperfaith movement. They believe that with enough faith, anything is possible. If you are healed, it is because, if you're not healed, it is because you do not have enough faith. Yet Jesus, and, and if you pray, God is, if it is your will, heal me. They say you're demonstrating a lack of faith. But Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. So where between these two extremes lies the truth? <clears throat> Let me tell you what Bethel believes. It is found in our bylaws, and I put it in your outlines today, under the section that states our tenements of faith. Tenement statement, the tenements of faith is, is a statement on what we believe and what we hold firm to here at Bethel Christian Center. Under divine healing, the statement reads, divine healing is the integral part of the gospel. Deliverance from sickness is provided for in the atonement and is privilege for all believers. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, Matthew 8, 16, 17, and James 5, 14 to 16. Our statement on healing is based on what we are convinced the scripture says. Let's look at those scriptures this morning. Turn to Isaiah 53 and verse 4. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and our, carried our sorrows. Notice that he... I believe, did you put it up? Isaiah 53 and 4. Notice that he is capitalized. That means that this is a reference to God the Son. Here the prophet is saying, he, Jesus Christ, has borne our griefs, which also means sicknesses. Notice that it does not say he will bear our gifts, our sicknesses. No, it says he has already borne our sicknesses. He has already taken our sicknesses. It also says that he carries our sorrows, which also means pains. You can look up the definitions. I'm not giving you something that is not 
true. Some people carry the deep pain of grief and guilt, not realizing that Christ wants to carry it for them. My brother just visited me. His son died prematurely at a very early age, his only son. He struggled with addictions, and my brother tried all kinds of things, tough love, uh, correction, and now that he's gone, he feels guilt. Maybe I didn't do enough. Maybe I was too rough. So some, like my brother, carry this guilt with him. But God has already paid, and he already carries it for us. He has already paid the price, and he is more than willing to carry it for them. Matthew eight sixteen says, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he, took, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. The Bible, you notice, is speaking in the past tense. Jesus has already done it. Other people say that God has punished them, punishing them for immoral behavior. They believe that because of their sins they are now suffering. Well, verse 5 offers us hope in that. He, has wounded for, he was wounded for our transgression, and he was bruised for our iniquities. Again, the language is in, is in past tense. One of the last words of Christ on the cross was, It is finished. Yes. He meant that the debt incurred by Adam's sin is finally and forever dealt with. It is paid for. In full. Jesus suffered and died for our sins and for the sins of all mankind. He suffered tremendously under the Roman whip, under the crown of thorns, the nails in his feet and his hands, and all else that was suffered in the crucifixion. However, that does not mean that it has already been appropriated in our lives. You have to take hold of it. You must seize it. How do you do that? Well, the next part tells us. Let James tell us. James 5 and 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he commits sins, he will be forgiven. When we are suffering, it is natural to seek relief for our suffering. When we have a headache, we take some Tylenol or something similar. When we have a cold or a flu, we run to the NyQuil or some other cold medicine. Here's what God, James tells us to do. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. 
But statistics show that fewer and fewer people pray to God. Why is that? Well, I believe we live, and I know we live in the most materially rich country in the world. Even the poorest person among us has a color TV and a cell phone. That's we're rich in this country. We currently don't have any major crises. 9-11, everybody rushed to church, but now that's over and they ran away. We don't have any major crises. Perhaps that is precisely why we don't pray so much. We simply do not believe that we need prayer. Prayer is, for the most part, a last resort. When we suffer, the first thing we do, we run to CVS to get something to relieve us. We run to a doctor or to a therapist. Only when all else fails, maybe we'll seek prayer. Every Friday night, we hold prayer here at 7 to 8. Every Friday night, without fail, except maybe if it falls on Christmas. But beyond that, 7 to 8 p.m., we're here. But there's only a handful of people that come. I speak to other ministers in other churches that hold prayer in their churches, and it's the same thing with them. Very few attend. Why is that? Perhaps it is because the leadership doesn't teach enough about prayer. But let me tell you, to go to God in prayer is a rich experience. Ask those that attend here. It's rich. Prayer is not just talking to the air. It is a two-way spiritual relationship. We block all else and give our full attention to God. We talk to God, but we also listen to him. We present our needs to God. We ask for his advice, for his guidance, and we listen in meditation. We come together to pray alongside others. Prayer brings us in touch with God and with others as we pray for each other's needs. As we pray, we offer every situation to God, and God uses our prayers to bring relief to the sick and to the suffering. Let's read verse 14 again. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You see, James put the responsibility of the sick person to seek prayer. It is your responsibility to seek prayer. And I have seen people get offended because pastor doesn't visit them or none of the other ministers of the church have reached out to him. Here at Bethel, we try to keep in touch with everyone. We have appointed people as pastoral care leaders and have given them a group of our congregation so that they can stay in touch with them. But still, James instructs us to call for the elders when we're sick. They will pray over you. They will anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Why the oil? Well, the oil, we symbolically are setting you apart for the Spirit, for the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to work your healing. Because Romans 8 and 11 tells us, but if the Spirit of Him, notice Spirit is capitalized, 
That means the Holy Spirit. But if the Spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give, your, uh, give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. When we come and lay hands on you and we pray for you, it's not us. God has used me many times to impart healing, but it's not my power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that flows to you and heals you. A very, uh, and, and uh, James assures us then in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. A very important point here. Listen, God wants to heal, but his overarching uh, desire is to have you of repent of your sins. He can work in, the li in your lives, but Jesus came to, sick, to seek and save the lost. That is his number one priority of his ministry here. This body, this shell that our, whole, that our soul and our spirit inhabits is temporary. It will die one day. No matter how much we diet, no matter how much exercise you get, and no matter how care you do for it, it will someday give out. And then what? Is that the end? No way. Your soul and your spirit are forever. That is why God, in his infinite love for his creation, sent his only son to die. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Even as Jesus devoted a large part of his ministry, as we read in the Bible, a large part of his ministry is to healing. But he often said to the person he healed, go and sin no more. Christ wants to heal your soul. That is his priority. So that brings us to the question, why does God not heal everyone that comes to him? Okay, lean closer, I'll tell you the secret. The short answer is, I don't know. I don't know. However, this is what I do know. God is sovereign over all things, and he answers to our pleas to suit his perfect will. You may be disappointed with my answer, but it's true. To reach that conclusion, let me explain what we know about God. That is why I say what I say. Above all else, God is indescribable. You cannot describe him. You cannot put him in a box and say, this is what God is. The Apostle Paul teaches us in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians that for now we're seeing spiritual things as if we're looking through a dark glass. But when we are with him in heaven, then we will see things clearly. The only things we know about God is what he chooses to reveal to us in Scripture. He has revealed many facets, and even then it leaves us with an incomplete understanding. For instance, we know God is eternal. He has no beginning. 
He has no end, and that's why he calls himself the I Am. So no matter at what point in time, either in the past, no matter how far back you go, or in the future, no matter how far in the future your minds go, you will find God there because he is the I Am. We know God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at once. He is in our service here today, blessing and speaking to you. But he's as well, he is in Asia, in China, in Europe, and all at the same time, and all of him there. We know that God is omniscient, which means he knows everything, including the future. We know that he knows what you're thinking, and he knows your motivations, and he knows when you're faking it. Our minds cannot understand that. I know mine can't. Why? Because we are finite creatures in a world, and we're bound by time and space. We cannot understand anything that is outside that realm. But God is not bound by that. And he has a plan that is driven by his perfect will. Therefore, when I say to you, God answers prayers that suit his will, that does not mean that he is acting capriciously on a whim. He acts according to his divine plan. Most of the time, he does not reveal that to us. That is why we have scriptures that when these times of uncertainty, that scriptures that we can cling to, we can hold on to, and Romans 8.28, and we know that all good things work together for the good of those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. If Alex, if you can put those up again, Romans 8.28, and I'll read it to you again. And, the, and we know that all good things work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. The, this truth is so hard to accept because of the tragic circumstances that come into our lives. As I paraphrase Job, what he said to his wife, should we accept the good from God and not the bad? The 11th chapter of Hebrews. We have what is called the, the Faith Hall of Fame. Here, the champions of the faith are listed with their mighty deeds. Read it sometimes. It'll encourage you where all these heroes of the faith did. But if we skip to the end of that chapter, we find something very interesting in Hebrews 11.35. And I'll read. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hopes in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning and some were sawed in half. And others were killed by the sword. Some went wearing skins of sheep and goats. Destitute and oppressed and mistreated. 
They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God has something better in mind for us so that we could reach perfection. They could reach perfection without us. Again, I say, God's will and God's plans are perfect. That will remain true no matter what, whether it makes sense to us or not, or whether we want it or not. Let me play a testimony of a woman who suffered a tragic accident as a young woman, as a young teen, but has used the aftermath of that tragic accident for God's glory. If you could play that video, Alex. I grew up in a very athletic family, tennis, horseback riding. My earliest memories of um, hearing about the God of the Bible, though, was around the campfire on the beach of the Delaware shore with my sisters, my mom and dad, hearing stories of Noah, David, Moses, Daniel. But God really, really, he, he really wasn't very personal. All that changed, though, when I was a 14-year-old kid, went away on a kind of a church weekend retreat. And I was challenged by the speaker. He said, kids, I want you to measure your lives up against the Ten Commandments. Well, I had never committed adultery, or I don't think I, I stole anything in a big way, but you know what? It, it didn't matter. As I measured my life up against those commandments one by one by one, oh, I, I got this overwhelming sense that I'm missing the mark. I'm not going to make it. Oh, God, help me. It troubled me at first that God gave us a bunch of commandments that he knew very well we couldn't keep. But then it hit me at that weekend retreat. It hit me. That's why Jesus came. He was the one who kept the commandments. He was the one who obeyed the law, even though I didn't and even though I couldn't. I was only 14, but um, I was able to reach out right then and embrace Jesus and say, I, I need you. I, 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 I want to make it out of earth alive, and you're my only passport, so please. Well, I came home from that weekend retreat, all fired up, all pumped, all excited. But then um, through high school, um, the enthusiasm of what I had done began to wane, especially when I started confusing the abundant Christian life with the great American dream. My prayers were so self-centered, like, uh, God, help me to lose weight. God, I need a new boyfriend. God, give me good grades on this test. Unfortunately, I guess I thought I had done God a great big favor by accepting Jesus as my Savior. And I remember right around my senior year of high school, I prayed, Lord, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this Christian thing right, and I know it. I don't want to go off to college and defame your good name, smear your reputation. I know it's about far more than just me, so do something in my life to jerk it right side up, because I'm really living this life wrong. Just a few weeks after high school graduation, as I was preparing to head off to college, my sister Kathy invited me to go to the beach for a swim. I swam out to this raft, athlete that I was, I didn't even touch bottom, hoisted myself up onto it and then took this really stupid dive into what ended up being extremely shallow water. I snapped my head back when I hit bottom and it crunched my fourth cervical vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. 
There I was lying face down in the water, desperately hoping that my sister Kathy would please notice that I had not surfaced from my dive. Unbeknownst to me, her back was turned to me. She didn't even see me take that dive. But a crab bit her toe. And it so startled her that she quick turned around in the water screamed to me, Johnny, watch out for crabs. And when she did, she saw my blonde hair floating on the surface. I was face down, ready to drown. She came swimming quickly, pulled me up out of the water. And I never, I never was so grateful for fresh air. She saved me. But for what purpose, for what reason? Because now, lying there in a hospital, doctors told me I was going to have to sit down for the rest of my life as a quadriplegic without use of my legs or, or even my hands. My hands don't work. And I remember thinking, God, is this, is this your idea of an answer to a prayer to be drawn closer to you? If it is, you're never going to be trusted with another one of my prayers again. I mean, I'm a new Christian. How could you have taken me so seriously? I sank into deep depression. I remember there were wonderful Christian friends who came to the hospital and they encouraged me. And one Bible verse they shared was from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to harm you, but to help you. Plans to prosper you and to give you a hopeful future. God, you, you mean you plan not to harm me? Well, what do you call quadriplegia, huh? What's that all about? As I read that verse and the context around it, I realized something, that when God said that, he was saying it to his children who were being dragged away into captivity by, by the Babylonians. They were going to exile, they were going into slavery. They had decades in front of them of hard, awful suffering. And I began to see that God's plan for a hopeful future for me was not necessarily jumping up, dancing, kicking, doing aerobics, running, walking, getting back use of my arms and my legs. No, God's plans for me go far deeper, a deeper healing, a precious healing of the soul. Because as I was pushed into the arms of God every morning, and that's the truth, even to this day, don't be thinking I'm an expert at quadriplegia. But as it was then in the hospital and as it is today, every morning I wake up saying, Jesus, I can't do this thing called life. Please help me. Please show up. Give me your smile. Give me your strength because I can't make it through the day. And because I go to God with that earnest dependency and, and requirement of his grace every single day, I take that back, no, every single moment, I experience the sweetest, most precious, most intimate union with Jesus Christ. So in Jeremiah 29, when God says he won't harm us, doesn't mean the body, doesn't mean our circumstances. He's not gonna do anything to harm our soul. Yes, our body may get harmed, but it will somehow serve to enrich our soul. In closing, let me just say that quadriplegia 46 years of it, that's a long time. I deal with chronic pain. I, um, I had breast cancer a couple of years ago, and I remember, I remember as my husband was driving me home in the van from chemotherapy one day, we were talking about how suffering is like little splashovers of hell, kind of like waking us up out of our spiritual slumber. 
And then we, we pulled in the driveway and he said, well, then what do you think splashovers of heaven are? Are they those easy, breezy, bright times where everything's going your way, where you have health? And we said, no. Splashovers of heaven are finding Jesus in your splashover of hell. And to find Jesus in your hell is ecstasy beyond compare. And I wouldn't trade it for any amount of walking in this world. What, what an attitude. Now, the, as I told you before, the leadership has been praying for this service. We are expecting healings here today. We are expecting people to be delivered here today. We have prayed. We have consecrated ourselves to pray for you today. Realize that our lives here on earth may not always have a happy ending. As born-again Christians, we are not living our lives for happy endings here on earth. We are living for a glorious eternity with Christ. Taken from the finance guru, Dave Ramsey, I will tell you, if you live your life like no one else here today, later you can live your life like no one else in eternity. Take each moment as it comes that God, and knowing that God has a plan. Well, I'm not saying uh, that God, is, that since God is going to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he, whatever he wants, and that he has a plan, that doesn't mean that it's pointless to pray. No way. That is not what I'm saying. Realize that God loves us and he is not toying with us when he says to be constant in prayer in Romans 12, 12. And let, us, let our requests be known to God, Philippians 4, 6. And to pray at all times, Ephesians 6, 18. And to continue steadfastly in prayer, Colossians 4 and 2. And to pray without ceasing, Thessalonians 5 and 17. And to ask and you will receive, John 16 and 24. And to not lose heart in praying in Luke 18, 8. There are things that will happen that will not happen unless we ask. James 4 and 2. If you, you do not have because you do not ask. Do you see? There is a real connection here. We ask God, God gives. So ask. If you don't ask, you won't receive. If, you, if I ask for a miracle, I expect a miracle. I have a very dear pastor friend that I spoke to about this subject. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's and lives with the specter of the deterioration of his abilities as the disease progresses. And he said to me, Dan, I have prayed for my healing. I will pray for my healing again today. I will pray for my healing again tomorrow and I will keep on praying until God either restores my health or he takes me home. Our God is able. Where the church has failed today is that it has strayed from believing in signs and wonders. It has stopped believing in spiritual healing. Not us. 
We still believe in miracles. We still believe in the supernatural. We st if we stop believing in the supernatural, what else have we got to offer the world? The world is sick. The world is perishing. The world is dying. We have the answer. Bethel remains firm in believing in the natural mo supernatural movement of God. When you come here, we still pray for your healing. We will anoint you with oil. We will lay our hands on you. We will pray the prayer of faith, and we expect God to answer our prayers. Come, worship team. The leadership has been praying, like I said, for this service, and we are expecting miracles. We are expecting healings here today. We are expecting people to be delivered. We have prayed. We have consecrated ourselves for you today. Now it's your turn. What do you believe? It's time for the rubber to meet the road. I told you what we believe. What do you believe? As the worship team plays the scripture from Exodus 15 that says, For I am the Lord that heals you. I want you to come forward right away. Don't, don't dilly-dally. If you need God to heal you, come now. If you, you've suffered that pain long enough, you're tired of the highs and lows of that addiction to drugs, to alcohol, to nicotine, come and let us pray for you. How desperate are you for relief? Come to God. Come down as fast as you can. If you're unable, just raise your hand and I'll send someone to pray for you. If you're online, post your request to chat and we will pray. Can someone monitor our chat and let us know to pray? There was a blind man sitting by the road as Jesus was going by. Jesus surrounded by a throng of people. He could not get to Jesus. He simply cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. The people told him, Hush, be quiet. But he cried the louder, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus heard this cry. He stopped and he healed the man. He was desperate to get healed. He did not care what the crowd thought. He was desperate. People are making their way down. Won't you come? Oh, I wish I could sing like Pastor Don. Then I would sing to you, don't leave here like you came in Jesus' name. Bound, oppressed, tormented, sick or lame. Because the Holy Ghost of heaven is still the same. You won't leave here like you came. In Jesus' name. Don't leave here like you came. I implore you. Come. And let us pray for you. We have people, like I said, making their way down. We want our altar workers to come. Lay hands, anoint with oil and pray the prayer of faith, I will be stepping down. 
as the, as the worship team plays.
Aleluia I love it, sing it again I love it, sing it again service and prayer at the altar come and let's end our prayer and service everybody to the front hallelujah hallelujah thank you Lord thank you Lord for your presence today thank you Father I have, I have been faithful to what you have given me the rest Father is on them and it's on you Father I know what I know I know you're a God that heals. I know you're a God of miracles, and I know that miracles have not ceased. Father, let us see the fruits of that, Father, to encourage us. But even if we don't, we still cling, Father. We, cling, we still cling to your words. We still cling to your promises, and we will continue to serve you until you call us home. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Does anybody have a need? Does anybody want to be prayed for before I dismiss? Be like that man at the side. Jesus is passing by. Once we dismiss, we can't pray for you anymore. You can pray for yourselves. But the presence of God is here, and I feel it. Anybody, raise your hand. Hallelujah. Anybody else? As Pastor always says, the hour of the chicken leg is here, so I'll dismiss you. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today, Father. We love you, and we will always be faithful to you, Father. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for being with us. And thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, and your healing power. In Jesus' name, I pray that as our people go, they will go with the blood of Jesus over them, Father. I plead the blood of Jesus. Let them go in peace. And as they exit those doors, Father, let them know that they are entering the biggest mission fields this world has to offer, Durham, North Carolina. Let them walk in your power, Father. Let them, let them walk, Father, with your spirit 
and spread your gospel to everyone they meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Go with the grace of God.